Yo, welcome to my summer layer. I'm your host, Sammy Yunan. I am on location at NFB. It is TIFF 2019. And I am here with artist and folklorist Henry Glassy. His uh, TIFF documentary is called Henry Glassy Fieldwork. And it is directed by Pat Collins. It's um, It's a slow meditation. I don't mean slow in a bad way. It's a slow meditation of just how how art is created. It's that idea that like if you want to write a novel and the novel's 300 400 pages if you write one page a day for a year, you'll have 365 pages by the end of the year. But when you only have when you only started and you only have like four or five pages in, four or five days in, it doesn't seem like you've done a lot, but you've started. And it's just now that slow building. Um, and it, that's what I think is really kind of fascinating. And as Henry says in the uh, conversation we have, his field work can sometimes take a decade. He'll spend time with people, spend time with artists and listen to them. It's pretty fascinating. Anyways, here's my interview with Henry Glassy, the documentary called Henry Glassy Fieldwork. Uh, this is TIFF 2019. Beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Thank you, uh, Henry, for the, uh, for the documentary and for coming to Toronto for TIFF 2019. So, welcome. Well, I'm delighted, I'm delighted to be here, but in fact, I didn't do the movie at all. Pat Collins did that movie. I just happened to be in the way of it. <laughs> yeah, and I want to talk about that. Is this considered then like a documentary about you or is it a considered a documentary about like the other artists that are in the documentary or how do you, is that how you view it? I would view it as a documentary primarily about the other artists in the, in the film. My, my goal in the film is actually to create a kind of unity among those people that is to c make comments that they would not necessarily have themselves have been able to make about the, their relationship to other artists. Mm -hmm. But my vision of the film is that it's really about the people who are not me who are in the film. Maybe I could expand that just very slightly and that is to say that Pat Collins heard uh, me on, the ir on Irish radio many years ago and he got the idea that he would like to make a film involving me. I wasn't particularly interested. I wasn't particularly interested until my wife and I had done a piece of really good serious field work in northern Brazil. And I understood at that point that maybe Pat could follow us into Brazil and would have something really to talk about instead of just me sit sitting and talking, mm -hmm. that we'd have a background for the talk that would actually be the foreground for the film. That is to say that these artists in Brazil, and so that was really what happened. And take it one step farther, I'd seen a film by Pat called Song of Granite, which is a very beautiful film that is about an Irish singer called Joe Heaney. What I saw in that film was that Pat, as a filmmaker, was very patient. He was tolerant of reality. He mm -hmm. didn't come with a vision and make reality dance to his tune. He, was al he f allowed himself to follow the actual natural grain of reality and because he could do that then I thought he was the perfect man for me to, to be working with that is I could submit to Pat and be happy in the field yeah in the documentary you quote uh, reverence and patience as kind of like your pillars or your like motto I guess of how you work and how you operate reverence and patience yes 
Yes. No, and I was just going to say, like, what is it in terms of your work then? What is it that you're patient for? Because usually when somebody's, like, being patient, like, they're, they're waiting at the bus or something like that. They're waiting <laughs> for the bus, right? Oh, no, I, I, want, I want the people to be patient uh, to be worthy of my attention. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're, they're, they, I have to be uh, uh, sufficient. I have to be sufficiently patient to be able to follow where they're going. So that was a quote that was made by a, a great Irish folklorist, Lady Gregory, when she was talking about the doing of field work, which mm -hmm. is really what I do. It's my delight. It's my pleasure. It's my art is to do field work. I write books. I write a lot of books, but it isn't really the books that are, for the most part, my deepest uh, artistic creation. It's rather being in the field with other people and following them. And if I'm going to follow them, I have to be patient. But they also need to be reverent, and there's no reason to be reverent about everything that they do. Most of the things that human beings do are really not worth <laughs> anybody's <laughs> attention at all. Right. And so that my goal is to show up in a place, any place in the world, and to stay long enough, and generally my field projects take a decade, to stay long enough to have the language, to have an understanding of the people, and to be, and through patience to understand what I should be reverent about. Not everything in everybody's life, but what is it they do that's excellent? What, what do they do that's moving to me? What do they do that, in a f sense, can become my work of art when I turn to the writing? Because I'm uh, not interested in writing about mm, the world's failures. They're too obvious. I'm interested in writing about the world's excellence. Yeah, but what you're seeing, too, is kind of unconventional. You come from the South, for example, and a lot of times people have uh, an impression of the South and they kind of just write it off. But you see a lot of complexity. You see a lot of beauty in the South that a lot of people generally don't see. Well, I think that's true. I, I think that's true, and it's a, it's a matter, in the case of the southern United States, it's a natural thing for me. I mean, as having been raised there, I don't have very much trouble about what I think is good about the South, and that is that what's good about the South is music. What's real about the South is that the South has got a lot of poor people, the South has got a lot of people that are uh, black as well as white. I mean, that's the kind of environment that I was raised in in the mm -hmm. South. That half of my neighbors are black. It's like, they're not weird, they're me. <laughs> but they're Southerners, and what do they do? As Southerners, what do they do? They make great music. And so some of the music is thought of as being black, and some of it is thought of as being white. But the fact is, all of it is an intersection between black and white people. To me, that's the glory of the South. It was a place where enough black and white people could live close enough to each other for them to trade musical styles back and forth because if blues is about black musicians, the fact is it's sung in the English language and so on. And country music, it's obvious the great stars of country music, Bill Monroe, Hank Williams, they all learn from black musicians. Mm -hmm. That's just true. So to me, that was the, the kind of glory of the South for me to feel worthy of representation. Not the poverty as poverty, but rather the poverty as a condition for people that were able to I mean, just unbelievable musicians. I mean, whether you're talking about Miles Davis or Bill Monroe, you're talking about fantastic music. So mm. the same thing happens to me in other places which people might be uh, negative about. I don't have, it's not very complicated, but I spent 12 years studying in Turkey because my nation, the United States, had declared war on Islam. That was evil, and I thought that I could take go to these people who are, of course, going to be good mm -hmm. and, of course, going to be creative. And even though I knew nothing about them, that I could learn Turkish and I could read the Holy Quran and I could get to the point where I could feel that to the American public, I could make a representation of what real average Muslim folks are about. That was just, that's the same thing. 
So that I did, you know, the next thing I did was Bangladesh. Bangladesh is a place that is emblematically poverty-stricken, therefore emblematically miserable. Not what I found. Unbelievably beautiful country with gentle people that smiled easily, that were, that's what, you know, so in every case my goal is to find what it is that's excellent and maybe contradictory, mm -hmm. maybe undermining, if one were to follow me, undermining the kind of negative precepts that people have. So if people think of, of the South as a place of vicious racism, I'd say the South is a place that offered the possibility of black and white folks to actually get together and make a single great art and music. If people are gonna be n negative about Islam, I'm going to say no. I'm telling you one of the things that you've got in Islam that's really very interesting, and I could digress about this film, tremendous number of incredibly talented women who are artists. Mm -hmm. I think that's, an, to me, that's a really interesting thing. You know, you get kind of usual Western propositions about, m you know, Muslim people being uh, misogynistic. Backwards. What, backward, yeah. Why is it that there are so many terrific women artists in mm -hmm. Turkey and in Bangladesh? That's interesting. So that's the kind of, that, that would be a simple way to say that what I'm up to is I'm not only up to, to being patient and reverent like Lady Gregory, but Lady Gregory was an upper-class Irish woman who was intent on demonstrating that the peasantry of Ireland were made up of good and decent people. That's yeah. what pa her patience... It, w it wouldn't have required patience for her to have celebrated her friend W.B. Yeats because Yeats is a great poetry. Mm -hmm. poet. You do, don't have to do much for Yeats. He's yeah. already doing everything for himself. He's in the history books. Hmm? He's in the history books. Yeah, so he's already there. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm about the unwritten. Mm -hmm. And is related to the unwritten, is that also like marginalized communities? Going back to the South, going back to Turkey, some of these places that you've been to, they are very much marginalized communities. Uh, like you said, like Yates is like celebrated and whatever, but like these people don't have a voice or a platform. Th well, that's right. That's exactly right. Now, the truth is they do have a voice. They just don't have a platform to be, to use your exact language. They can speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's We saw that in the documentary. Like yeah. they had vision. That's a, pr that's a principle of mine. If, if you go and spend long enough time with, I've, um, here I am. I'm in a mountain village called Karagermlik in western Turkey. Mm -hmm. And I've got six women. I've gathered them around it and said, I want you all to tell me the virtue of your work. I've got a tape recorder. I speak Turkish. Come on, let's do it. They talk for about three hours about their work, completely intelligently, completely comprehensively. And somewhat, sometime later, I was giving a talk in... Um, a conference, and I was quoting these women. And a Turkish woman stood up and said, I know these peasants, they can't say those things. And I said, you don't know those peasants. You come in, you know, riding in your high-class car, mm -hmm. you zoom through them, you're probably wearing high heel shoes in this, you know, muddy village. <laughs> you don't know these people at all. Mm -hmm. I'm an outsider, but I'm the one who sat, set up the tape recorder and talked to these women. I sat next to them. I've, I've learned how to weave sitting next to them. I could feel Rahame Balji taught, taught me how to do that. And so I could feel the bump of her hip against mine. I could feel the rhythm of weaving. I, it's not that I can weave, but I stayed long enough to get to be able to represent these people because why? I let them represent themselves. Mm -hmm. I'm convinced that give, it's not everybody can do it. 
But I can tell you that in, in the Turkish villages, I know there was a woman called Nezahe Erskan that can talk about art as well as Wassily Kandinsky can talk about art. Mm -hmm. And is that part of the, like we already touched upon the marginalized communities, but is also um, your work is also just confronting that highbrow, lowbrow, which is kind of always associated with art and yeah. kind of breaking down those walls? Yeah, well, I think absolutely that's what I want to do uh, because art is, art is a human birthright. Everybody's born mm -hmm. capable of artistic creation. That's what we are as human beings. We're, I mean, scientifically, we demonstratively, uh, scientifically, we are creative beings. That's who we are. You see that in kindergarten class when people are finger painting and they can all draw mm -hmm. and they can all dance. Nothing like little teeny kids. They can all dance and then they they teach themselves not to dance as they grow up. They get embarrassed. Yeah. But I think I think that's absolutely true. That's. That's, that is there, that is to say everybody is creative, and so that it's it's all one has to do is to stay, this is the patience part of it, stay long enough to be able to know the language, to be able to understand the presuppositions of creation that are applicable in this particular locality, stand long, stay there long enough, and pretty soon you're speaking the lo native language. Mm -hmm. it, it, a simple example of that would be when, when I was doing all this field work in Turkey, I didn't start out being able to speak Turkish very well, which is true. But in about three years, the depths of information that was flowing to me was unbelievable. But at first, it was all very simple because people knew perfectly well I couldn't understand a complicated sentence. Mm -hmm. I mean, it wasn't complicated. So I think this happens all the time in anthropological work. There's some, some moment in which the light shines and the veils follow you know what that moment is you finally kn know the language well enough to be able to communicate with another person it's like a rosetta stone basically yeah. you figured it out that's right once you figured it out you know, get then you're getting depth mm -hmm. everybody's deep it isn't so that so that the kind of denigrated people the unwritten people the marginalized people it's just the categories that we carry in our mind that create those people as marginalized or mm -hmm. something like that. And very frequently they'll recognize that in our minds, someone else's mind, they are marginalized and people can be embarrassed about it. And they respond in very different ways. Sometimes people are very cute. Sometimes people are very deferential. They learn those tricks about how to perform in the environment that you have constructed in your mind it's not in their mind but they know enough about they always know m more about us than we know about them like you said that turkish woman who was kind of elitist right and she yeah. said those peasant women don't yeah, so she had all this facts and knowledge <laughs> that's right see i know everything i'm a turk therefore I, no you don't you know you have to study these things and so you you, s you stay long enough to be able to construct a reasonable vision of the of how those people are constructing the environments for their own thinking. You mentioned anthropology. Is there a difference between that and curiosity, or is that the same thing? Anthropology, I think, is a kind of rigorous curiosity. It, it, and one would hope that that's, th that certainly it would be the case for me that the great anthropologists, mostly of the 30s, I think there was a kind of a l environment for them. That was there was a context for the an for anthropology, and the context for the anthropology for anthropology was probably the Depression, mm -hmm. and there was a kind of vitalizing democratic electricity that flowed through that anthropology. So that I read, I, I keep up with anthropology, but I'm not as interested in recent anthropology as I am in an older level of anthropology. That Franz Boas and his and his mostly women students, there was a great moment 
and so that I read in, in the same way that one might love literature and prefer mid-19th century English literature or something like that. So I, per, I'm, I don't consider myself an anthropologist in the sense of I've trained in anthropology, got degrees in it, but it, it isn't anthropology as practiced professionally that particularly interests me. It was the anthropology as it, as it arose at an, amaz uh, an amazing philosophical moment and answered the problems. I mean, it's when that anthropology, Martin Luther King looked back and said, without Franz Boas's dismantling of, of race, we couldn't have had civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. So there was a, a great moment. And those, are, those remain my heroes. And when you're searching, are you searching for actual artists? Or are you searching for the art? What is it that you're looking for first? What draws you to a new country? The artist or the art? The, the, the art is a kind of a long distance signal. And so that I would, I would say that it's maybe, if it to, to try to answer it with great accuracy, probably there's a signal sent by the art that's the first attraction. Then I land, and I might be betrayed. It might be that that was something hmm. that's really of the past and no longer vital. It might be that that's not what I'm really interested in once I get to know it, or maybe I find that there's not a lot of depth. So that I've had what amount to introductions or callings to various places. It's kind of simple how that normally happens. Uh, I get a invited to give a lecture. That's really what happens. I get invited to give a lecture, and I, when I'm there in this country, I look around. That's what happened to me in Turkey. It's what happened to me in Bangladesh. I w didn't just go to Bangladesh out of some curiosity. I got invited to Bangladesh, gave lectures. I taught at a thing, a wonderful institution called the Bangla Academy, taught fieldwork methods to the students, and after a, a year or so, I said, I really like this place. I like these people. I like this art. I like everything about it. So it isn't... There's a long-term signal that I might have picked up mm -hmm. about Bangladesh, but it would be very trivial, honestly. So that would be the same thing. So there are some places that I've been uh, interested in from a distance, and I show up and spend time, and I give my lecture, you know, and I meet the, my colleagues, but it just doesn't seem to me maybe that this is this deep, or maybe, you know, I, my contribution would be not important. But if I go to a place, Bangladesh would be a good example, where there's a hostility by outsiders, where even the insiders have a little bit of diffidence concerning their own creativity, and there isn't a good set of documents already made of this place, that's for me. Mm -hmm. And Praveena, my wife, and I have spent all this time in Brazil. There are writings about Brazilian art, and you can see pictures of it and so on, but that's only the very, it, it's like the skin of the thing. It, it, it might or might not sustain itself. But if I land in Salvador de Bahia, and if I start befriending these people, and I begin to see the things that they're really making, which almost none of them are in any book or any, anything any, you could look at. You, you can't go to the library and mm -hmm. see this. But you can begin to feel the richness, and you can be begin to feel the textures. And so that there's, it is the art that sucks you in, but the thing that sustains you as the artist. And speaking of sustaining, like you just mentioned, like you can't go to the library and see some of these people or some of these works mm. and stuff. So yeah. like I'm from Egypt, so like w when you go there, you can see the pyramids, you can see the statues, all the hieroglyphics and stuff. Like 
are you ever worried about or trying to figure out how to immortalize these things, these the, the work that these people are making, or is it just going to be just here for a short time and then it's gone, like the artist? Well, I would like, I- if it's going to be here for a short time and I've had that experience, then I would like to have made a record of it. Mm-hmm. But if it's going to go on, I would like to help sustain it. And I've got lots of examples in my own life of the kind of consequence in the artists' lives of the of the work that I've done, and it's been uh, very beneficial. That's just the, the fact. So that's the truth. So I, I wrote a book about Bangladesh. The Bang, the uh, the Art Academy in Bangladesh said we have never recognized one of these artists. Just pick somebody from Glassie's book, and we'll give them a big award. And mm-hmm. they did. Maranchan Paul. So the next thing you know, Maranchan Paul's got. Tor- $2,000 he didn't know that he owned. He got a medal from the government. The, the star of my book on Turkey, uh, Ahmed Shaheen, the Turkish government had paid no attention to him at all. I mean, it's, you know, he, he's making stuff. But they looked up and they, they made a gold medal for him. They had a whole day of celebration in the city of Kutahia, where Ahmed Shaheen is from, mm-hmm. and said, uh, this is a great man. Well, he was, he was 86. Fortunately, he lived to be 90 years old, so he got this recognition. But the, the truth is, the kind of work that you understand the dynamic perfectly. When the outsider valorizes something, even if the inside already had a positive value, they still are a little bit ambivalent about the richness of that and whether that deserves this kind of credit. And so that mm-hmm. when the outsider comes along, and it's kind of beneficial that you're a professor and that kind of thing, mm-hmm. it's a good it's a good thing. Yeah. And in terms of being an outsider, I want to just bring up the observer effect in physics because it states that uh, when like mere observation of a phenomenon inevitably changes that phenomenon. Right. You can't just observe something and then not like you naturally interact with it and it would change how it would behave just the way when you're at home alone. You might be walking around with no pants and just eating yogurt with your finger or something. But then when company's over, then you're like got pants on and you're eating yogurt with a spoon. And so I guess you are aware then of your your contribution when you come to visit these places, how you, as even just observing, like you said initially, that's going to have a change on the, the artists and the art that's being made. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm in no confusion about that at all. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fly on the wall. I'm a participant in this, and I've become a participant in it. One of the things that I want to do is to be welcomed into participation. And so one of the, among the things that I do is to offer comment back. If people say, do you like this? Do you like that? Do you like this? One, that's one of the things that I can do. If somebody is interested in developing, for example, a market in the West, and I don't share that information with them, what kind of fool? That, that's almost evil. Mm-hmm. If they think that you as a Westerner, what would you think? Would you prefer this? I'm perfectly happy to consult with people. I'm documenting that whole thing. Mm-hmm. So my documentation can't be a documentation of them as though I weren't there. That documentation has to be a documentation that involves me in their lives and it admits that and t- takes that as part of the context. I, I don't, it's, it's not that I'm trying to avoid it. I can't avoid it. Therefore, I'm very interested in documenting it. I'm very interested in having interviews with people once I know them very well about that very thing. What do you think that I've done to you? Has it, you know, has it all been good? It certainly can't all be good, but it can. I can intend to control it, not to diminish the impact, but just to be certain about 
what impact I'm having. Is that a good thing or not? I was on a, a television show, a talk show in, in Turkey with a couple of artists, great friends of mine, Ibrahim Erdere and Mehmet Gürsalem. And then the, the, man, the, the main character of this talk show said, turned to the, them and said, well, how would you say that, what would you say about Turkish art? And Ibrahim said, I would say exactly what Henry says in his book because he has listened so hard to us and especially his father, Isan Bey, has l listened so hard to us that he's actually articulated what we've always thought but had never put it down in words. And mm -hmm. like I said that on Turkish TV. And at any rate, it's, just a, it's a small instance of the kind of thing that goes on. Of course I'm influencing things. I want to. Mm -hmm. But I, d I, I want to make a very clear record of what that impact has been. It You're basically amplifying or translating the signal that initially drew you to it, to that country. You now are able then basically broadcast and, and uh, describe much more clearly now that signal. What was kind of a little bit faint for you? Now you can kind of amplify and articulate in a way. For other people. Mm -hmm. That would be my goal. Exactly right. I want them to, I, I, I'm not going to enter this situation in a, with a goal of, making people uh, further secure in their position. I want to rattle them. I want to change their minds. I want them to, to come away from this saying, I never knew that about the quality of Muslim women's mm -hmm. art. That's exactly what I want to have happen. All right. That's a positive note. We should leave it there. So thank you, Henry. Thank you for the documentary. Yeah. There we go. We'll shake hands. Um, so thank you. I hope the rest of TIFF is really good to you, and I hope people do check it out because I know there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of movies at TIFF, but this one is really worth checking out, especially if somebody is interested in making stuff or being an artist or being creative. Yeah, that's great. Well, I tell you, Pat Collins made a wonderful movie, and people ought to go see it for that reason. There you go. Thank you. Yo, that was so cool. Henry, uh, you should see if there's a photo. I've attached a photo. Henry has a fantastic mustache too. I should have given a shout-out to the mustache. <laughs> it's pretty solid. I was pretty impressed with that. You can follow me uh, on the Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, this is where I do some of my work. You can follow me there at my pal Sammy, all three, my pal Sammy. Thank you so, so much for listening.